0: Welcome to Quid Pro's Quo. I'm Rin. And I'm Zach. And today we are talking about how to build magic systems. And we're super excited for this episode. We are going to give examples of a hard magic system and a soft magic system. Um, so let's just get right into it. So you've got a cool idea for a magic system too, but you're not really sure how to build it out. What do you do?
1: Well, the first thing to do is figure out where it falls on the spectrum of hard to soft. Remember that some systems will work better for certain kinds of stories. So if you're trying to tell a story that's more about emotional themes or psychological themes, maybe you want to trend towards the soft side. If you're if you're writing a detective mystery with magic in it, then maybe you want a, you know, a, a harder system. It's up to you. You just want to know what's going on as far as the hard versus soft, because it's a way for you to think about what the reader expectations are going to be for the magic and you know what we say about reader expectations. You want to fulfill the reader's expectations or invert them pleasantly.
0: Nice. Um, we're going to run through some questions that are important to consider when building a magic system. But they are, I said they're important. They're not all equally important. Right. Um, you can leave like unanswered questions, especially if you're building a soft magic system. So the first thing you want to do is pretty basic. What do you want to call it?
1: Yeah, and the reason why this is something that you ought to consider is that what you call magic creates connotations in the mind of the reader. So if you think about the dark arts as a a title for magic inside of Harry Potter, that has a malevolent connotation to it, but also when you add arts onto it, it makes it seem kind of macabre, Um, you know, kind of the idea that I think of is like Tim Burton and the Nightmare Before Christmas is kind of the vibe that I'm getting. You compare that with the little science, which is what magic is called inside of Shadow and Bone with uh, Grisha's abilities. Little science, right? When you treat it as science, you're thinking about—or when you call it something related to science, you're thinking about it differently. Um, And then, because we love The Last Airbender, bending, right? There's that one quote that a lot of people have pointed out that at the very, very beginning of the series— Katara says it's not magic, it's water bending, right? And so when you say bending, it creates again, it you're doing away with the connotations that magic has inside of the minds of the reader and you're using this other term instead. So depending on what kind of you're going for, make sure that you call your magic according to those according to those vibes, right? You want to match the vibes to the title.
0: Absolutely. Next question, how powerful is it and what powers does it have? And here is an important time to remember, I think it's the second law of Sanderson, Mm -hmm. limitations are more interesting than abilities. So some authors will group powers into schools or other categories, like I think of, like, The Owl House, which is a show on Disney Plus or just Disney Channel in general, I guess. But they have, like, the covens and, like, one is potions, one is, like, abomination, Mm -hmm. one is, like, plant magic. Yeah. So, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, if you're borrowing categories from, you know, something like the four classical elements or, you know, whatever, um you're going to have to navigate the connotations that readers already have with those categories. So, if you're going to be doing an elementally based magic system, everybody's going to think of Avatar. I'm just going to say it. Everybody's going to think of it. You're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to navigate it. Um not a bad thing, just something to be aware of.
0: So one method of deploying Sanderson's third law, which is again depth over breadth, is to iterate on each power you add to the system, which is again like maybe instead of like the owl house making like another coven, they're like, Oh, this actually fits better under like plant magic, mm-hmm. even if it's not directly plant. Or in the last episode, Zach talked a lot about like how Avatar, the last airbender, does this really well with like water bending. It's like, oh, water bending like that goes into steam and ice and Earth bending goes into sand bending and metal bending, so that's that's another example of using the third law.
1: Yeah, and when you're going through and thinking about those those iterations, you can think about where is this going to show up in society, right? If you if there are people who can do this, where is it going to show up in society?
0: Mm-hmm. Next question: Who can use it? Um, there are some, there are a couple options here. Like, it's a learned skill, and you're born with the talent, someone gives it to you, everyone has it, etc. Yeah. And it's like, are you born special, or do you have to learn it, mm-hmm. or do you have to be born special and learn it? Like, in Harry Potter, like, that's like learned inherent. Like, you have to be born a wizard,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you can still learn it.
1: Yeah, the uh, magic system inside of uh, the fifth season is very similar, where you have people who are born with the ability, but you need to refine it through through training. So you can mix and match, you can combine. Yeah.
0: And then you want to ask how common is the magic, like if it's a genetic thing, then like how many people are born with it, like every generation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to have like actual numbers, unless it's a hard magic system, in which case you might have actual numbers, like every one in 500, which...
1: That's still a lot.
0: Yeah. That's a lot of people. I, I just I just guess 500 as a number. Is it one in a million? Who knows? Yeah. I just put 500 as a random number. No, that's an actual example. I do soft magic system more often than not. I don't <laughs> know numbers. I'm a writer. I'm also a scientist. I'm not a I do <laughs> <laughs> biology. That's also... Whatever. Um... Next question, how is it used? In other words, how does an observer know that someone is using magic?
1: Yeah, and the, you can sort of think about the kind of metaphor that goes along with the with the magic system, right? Is magic a science that requires study? So, like, spellcasting in Harry Potter. Is it in, like, a physical exercise that requires training, like bending in The Last Airbender? Or is it, like, a spiritual discipline that requires inner refinement Or is it more of a negotiation? Like in the um, Bartimaeus trilogy by Jonathan Stroud, all the magic is done through summoning djinn and other magical creatures. Oh and you got
0: I've read that book. I I think about it sometimes, but I not remember what it was called. That's it.
1: Yep, it's the Bartimaeus trilogy.
0: Thank you. Yeah,
1: you're welcome. In that case, magic is a kind of, you know, it's a negotiation, even though it's like compelled negotiation, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, or in like D and D, where like warlocks have like yes. a patron. Yes. Which might be a more broadly applicable example because there's so many books out there, and the chance that we both have the Barnabas Trilogy* <laughs> low. Chance that we both remember reading the Barnabas Trilogy* <laughs> lower. Uh, where are we? And then, how does the magic work? And this is like. This is kind of like what's under the hood. Yeah, yeah. Like, in Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archives, it's Stormlight the Powers, and they capture it in, like, crystal... Yep. Crystals. I think... I want to say they're called bromes.
1: Don't look at me. I've never read them.
0: I don't know. I'm not enough of a Sanderson fan to actually remember stuff about his world. And before
1: you come at me, I'm waiting for them all to be out.
0: Okay. That's valid. I'm, like... I just know I'm going to forget... I read so many books in between, like, books of a series, even if they're all out, mm-hmm. that I just, I just... I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I just read them as they come to me, as if fantasy strikes me. Um, a lot of, like, systems, whether they call it mana or not, they use mana, which is, yes. like, some inherent force. Uh, in one of my novels, in my Studio Ghibli gender fluid Cinderella, I'm using... Mana but i'm calling it stamina which i think is so clever (laughs) um and spelled stamina but with an a instead of an i you know um or like does it so that's like some like more ethereal sources i guess Mm -hmm. or is it like is it science in this world like alchemy or is it god derived power which is like in d d or the Dawnless system that I will be elaborating on for my example of a hard magic system mm-hmm.
1: and that kind of goes along with thinking about what the cost of the magic is mm-hmm. um, which we also mentioned in the last episode so you know if there's some kind of fuel that goes into the magic mm-hmm. then that's the that's the cost
0: yes absolutely
1: um, speaking of uh, the uh, um, speaking of the second law this is also a good time to talk about what are the limitations of the magic and what are the weaknesses of the magic Um, When I think about weaknesses, I think, and I think uh, Sanderson writes this inside of his essay, it's like kryptonite. Like, it's what undoes the magic or what prevents magic from being used. Um, Another example is, like, iron in um, uh, Maleficent. Oh, yes. Where iron is um, harmful to, to fairies. Yeah. So That's
0: a very classical example, iron being harmful to fairies. Yep, yep. One of our last questions, last two questions, I suppose, is how is it used in in society versus how is it viewed in society? Mm -hmm. Um, In, like, Legend of Korra, bending is much more, like, mainstream, I would say, Mm -hmm. and is generally portrayed and viewed in a different way than it is in Avatar. Like, sure, in Avatar, they use magic to build houses, but in Legend of Korra, they're, like, lightning bending to provide energy to the...
1: Yeah, it's like a job.
0: Exactly, mm-hmm. um, or it's like pro bending, mm-hmm. where it's a source of entertainment. Yeah. So, but that's also a job; they still get paid for like their bending matches.
1: Right, and and so an example of a system where magic is used in society versus, you know, being viewed as evil or whatever. Um, in the, so in one of the timelines in the fifth season by N. K. Jemisin. You have uh, these people who can control, basically, tectonic activity, mm-hmm. and they're used inside society to keep the world from tearing itself apart, mm-hmm. um, but everybody is very mistrustful of them, and so they, they really don't like these people who are really ingrained into this fu- this society functioning. Mm-hmm. So they're viewed negatively, but they're really critical to the functioning of the society.
0: Yeah, and when you have it viewed... In an opposite way from where it's viewed in the society like that, it creates conflict, which again is really important in story.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, We're going to go through our examples of magic systems pretty quickly. Um, My dawnless magic system, my tentative name for the magic is just divine intervention because it is a god-derived power. Um, And for what powers it has, the god's powers are tempered and delegated to a priest, so you're not as powerful as a god. But you have, like, a watered-down version of their powers. Mm-hmm. So, a priest of the god of life and healing, Cornice, has healing spells, and that's, like, the main character, Jor, in the book. Mm-hmm. Who can use it? People who have sworn their fealty and service to a god, so essentially priests. Um, how is it used? Usually you have to have a holy... Well, not usually. There are no exceptions to this thus far. You have to have a holy symbol, and you have to use spoken words. In Dauntless, I've been using French as a magic language. I'll probably alter it a little bit, like how... JK Rowling altered Latin to be her language Mm -hmm. but I gotta get back into French studies before I do that (laughs) it's so hard to like mess with the real language without accidentally making it just another word in that language that you know it's rough Uh, how does it work Um, it's derived from a god's power so you see I could have probably skipped this question because I answered it in the first question Um, what is the cost of magic every person has a certain amount of stamina used for casting spells of like different powers so, it's similar to, like, the D&D spell so- concept, but my system is softer than D&D. Like, I'm not saying, oh, casting a light charm on the swords is a third-level spell, and it, she can only cast two of those. I'm mm-hmm. like...
1: Every long rest.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm like... It, it's it's not as hard as D&D. D&D is a very hard magic system. Um, next question... What are its limitations and weaknesses? You're limited by your god's power so there's no wiggle room. Mm-hmm. And to expand on that a little bit more, like, Jor in the book, she's a healer but she wants combat magic, mm-hmm. but she, her, she's, a, her patron god is a god of healing, so she's like, she's like, an a piece of combat magic, and the other side of Cornice is the god of death and, like, combat, but they're like, no you're healing you're a healer not a not a warrior mm-hmm. so and that causes conflict in the story and then how it's viewed in society is revered and it's used for lots of different things I didn't feel like I had the time to expand on it because we are running up against our time but Zach give us an example of a co- soft magic system
1: yeah so the soft magic system that I came up with for this uh, episode is just called face speech it's inspired a little bit by the um by the magic system in Maleficent which I mentioned earlier. Um, What powers does it have? It forces the world to conform to the spoken word. You notice how that's very vague, right? Um, Who can use it? Sentient fey creatures. So they have to be able to speak. Um, How is it used? It is a physical ability that any sentient fey creature can engage. So imagine, like, being able to sneeze on command. It's like that. Um, How common is it? It's extremely rare because in this setting, you know, fey creatures are are not ubiquitous. They're not wandering around. They have their own separate, like their own separate plane of existence, and they only venture into the human world very, very slightly. So it's extremely rare. Um, Limitations what has been spoken can't be unspoken. So once you cast your spell, that's it. That's what you got. Um, Weaknesses any limitation in speech hinders the ability to use their speech. In addition, if these creatures are a long distance away from uh, their plane of existence, Which I called the Feywild in the show notes. Um, It impacts their ability to use the speech. However, if you've been cursed or if you have had a spell cast on you by a Fey, where you go doesn't matter. It still, like, it still impacts things. This is an example. Whereas a hard magic, if this were a hard magic system, that wouldn't make sense, right? If Mm -hmm. they can't use it far away from it, why is the spell? Why are the spells effects all like? Why can they go that far away? But it's a soft magic system, so that kind of squishiness is okay.
0: Yeah, and since you establish it as a soft magic system, usually fey magics are really soft. Yeah, yeah. Um, They have vague rules, but since you establish it as soft, when you were explaining it, I didn't even think, oh, this wouldn't make sense in a hard magic system because we already set up the expectations. Yep,
1: yep. And I did that by talking about how it's fey speech, right? And you filled in the connotation of fey speech equals soft magic. Look at you go. Um, how is it viewed in society? Humans are terrified of it because it doesn't go in their favor. So they consider it heroic to cut out the tongue of a fake creature so that it can never speak again.
0: Wow. That's a fun, that's a fun limitation. That's more of a cost than a limitation, I would suppose. But anyways, super fun. Love that. <laughs> Dark. Um, so we went over a long list of questions today. Uh, we can put those in the show notes if you want a spark notes version of this. Uh, But thank you so much for listening to Quid Pros Quo. We'll see you next
1: time. Quid Pros Quo is hosted by DC Winters and C.K. Jensen. If you like this episode, be sure to leave us a rating. And if you'd like to contact us, you can email us at quidprosquo at gmail.com. For more episodes, check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.